How do we revolutionize cancer care? What innovations can solve global food scarcity? Can the next big leap in drug development come from a place you might not expect? These are the questions that drive us on New Wave, a podcast where curiosity meets life-changing science. In Nova Scotia, a new wave of pioneers are answering these questions, from reimagining how we treat the most daunting diseases to tackling the challenges of feeding a growing planet. Their stories are as inspiring as they are impactful. I'm Taylor McGilvery. Join me as we dive into these extraordinary narratives. We're not just talking about scientific breakthroughs. We're exploring how these advancements touch lives, reshape communities, and pave the way for a brighter future. Subscribe to New Wave on your favorite platform. Be part of a journey that takes you to the heart of innovation and shows how, in Nova Scotia, we're not just asking questions, we're finding answers. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everybody. Uh, looking forward to this one this week. Uh, Brady and I sat down with Crystal DeSantis. Crystal is a Texas-based licensed marriage and family therapist and also the author of the book titled Strong, A Relationship Field Guide for the Modern Man. And well, hey, look at that. I'm a modern man. So hopefully uh, I took something from this conversation. And to be truthful, uh, I did. I feel like I took a lot from this conversation. It was a it was a really great one. We talk about modern masculinity and how we can reimagine that. We talk about... Um, you know, emotional intimacy with partners. We talk about navigating conflict with grace. Uh, Crystal is a lovely guest. We, we absolutely had a blast with this conversation. And uh, if you want to look into the work that she's doing, check out the show notes. You can find her book, Strong. It is available now. And we hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, we'll see you on the other side. Um, Bride, I am feeling pretty excited to dive into this conversation. Me too. Um, it is, uh, I think we're going to be talking about some, some subject matter that we've kind of like dabbled in over the past few years. Uh, but it feels like it's been a while since we've kind of gone down this road. And there's some familiar phrases here mm-hmm. in our notes mm-hmm. I'm excited about. Yeah. We were on like a, we were on like a real kick there for a little while <laughs> diving into the world of like, you know. Um, uh, masculine energy, feminine energy, sort of uh, the 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 ups and downs when it comes to like masculine energy and and the the parts of masculine energy that are useful, the parts that maybe not so useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to be diving into some of that stuff and probably more with our our guest today, Crystal DeSantis, uh, who is a Texas licensed marriage and family therapist and uh, the author of 
uh, strong, uh, a re- relationship field guide for the modern man. And, uh, I'm a modern man. <laughs> so this speaks to me. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> something for the men. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, we, we, uh, we're just taking the back burner, uh, for the last little bit. So it feels nice. To. feels nice yeah. to be in the spotlight. Uh, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us today. We're, we're so happy to have you here. Um, but before we get into it, um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself, you know, your work and and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Crystal and I know a little bit about me. I actually grew up in a different culture. So I grew up in Japan. Um, and one of the things, so I, and then I moved to the U.S. when I went to college. So I was moving here as, you know, a teenager, kind of young adult, And one of the things that I noticed right away, and so this is kind of my personal journey, um, was I had no idea how to date in this culture. (laughs) I mean, I was coming from, um, you know, a very, very different way of relationing, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. in Asia. And so then coming here, I really felt like an outside observer into American way of dating. And also what I noticed, so I moved here to go to college. So I ended up in a college town and it was a college town that really embraced Greek life. So there were these kind of like hyper feminine and then hyper masculine um, like ways of being in these cultures. Ooh. And so me, this was like being, I mean, sent to Mars kind of, I was coming here and, you know, Japan can be very traditional in gender roles, but not the way I saw the Americans do it. And it was so confusing to me. Like there really, especially when I was growing up in Japan, there really wasn't much of a dating culture um, the way there is now. And so coming to America, I was just like, I don't understand any of this at all. I'm very confused. Um, I remember talking to a girlfriend. She told me she went on a first date and I asked her, I was like, oh, who are his parents? And she looked at me like I was a Martian. (laughs) So, you know, it's like these kinds of um, cultural context that I I really didn't understand. Um, And so part of me becoming a marriage and family therapist started with me feeling like an alien in American dating culture and really trying to understand, like, what is masculinity in America versus femininity? How do I make sense of all of this? Mm. Um, And then how do I fit into all of it? Right. I, I mean, I'm dying to know, like I, I've, I've never been to Japan, but I have a, um, I have a fascination with Japan and the culture and, uh, you know, everything to do with, with that, that place. Um, and it's, it's the, it's like, you know, I don't have a bucket list, but if I did really the one thing on it would be to just go and get lost in Japan for, you know, a month on end. Um, but, uh, I am kind of curious about the, the dating it, from a cultural perspective, you know, uh, what, what at that time in your life, I'm sure it's evolved and changed mm-hmm. since then, but like, what, what did dating look like when you were living there? What, what is it yeah. that set it apart from America? You know, aside from the, uh, you know, like inquiring and being sure to know who this person's parents are, which is very, that, I mean, that's a very PEI thing. Oh yeah. Where I, I'm from, it, we town. just, we have to check. We have to ask that in case we're related, but, yeah. um, <laughs> In in this case, I yeah, I'm also very curious yeah. how you end up on a first date with someone. Like, how do you end up on a first date at that time in in Japan? Like, mm. what what would have led you to be on a date with someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, honestly, there was there was, you know, it's almost like the old American courting type, mm-hmm. where 
it wasn't as much of a culture of casually dating. It was like, you know, you could have a lot of friends and it was totally acceptable to have, um, you know, mixed gendered friend groups. But when it came to actually dating, that was something that was, you know, taken more seriously, which mm. is why the, the conversation about what are their parents do, you know, are you going to be accepted into their family was important to think about when you were dating somebody versus if you were just friends or acquaintances. Um, and so that's really where I guess the casual dating idea of American culture was the thing that was really different for me. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, like the formalities of it just didn't really quite exist mm-hmm. over here. Do you know if that's shifted, you know, in, in since, it, since it definitely has shifted? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The um, culture in Japan, I mean, it's you know, social media has kind of made everybody much more aware of options and um, gotten away from that really traditional kind of strict way of being. Because also when I was in Japan, um, you know, even as I started working, that was something where the, you know, when you got married, the woman would generally end up coming out of the workforce and becoming a stay-at-home partner, um, but she would be the one managing the money. Mm. And the male partner would generally be the provider, but Anyway, it's just, it's a completely different Mm. cultural setup than it is here. Totally. Um, And so that's where I was kind of observing. That must have have taken some like unraveling of self to like start dating and, and be like, do, you know, do, do I fit in this person's life? Would they, what would my parents think of them? You know, like it must've been a little bit of a, a filter that you had to figure out how to see without. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my husband now, the person that I'm married to, um, is the only person that I have ever brought home. (laughs) Um, amazing. Okay. And then were you in college at the time when you came to the U S to be a family and marriage counselor? So also, I think that that might also be another interesting twist is when I came to the U S I also went to an all women's college. Okay. Mm. So that was something. And no, I wasn't planning on being a marriage and family therapist. Um, you know, I went to college and just did the regular college experience. I, you know, did a undergraduate in PR and communications, was on the soccer team, you know, but in a very all women's environment. So um yeah, and then it was really the kind of second piece of my journey was when I realized I didn't actually still have any dating skills. Like I could observe and understand like, okay, as a, as a woman, these are kind of the expectations of me in this culture and how do I navigate friendships, et cetera. But I still wasn't any good at dating. Um, so I just didn't do it. I just didn't date. <laughs> mm. um, and then finally I wanted to start dating. My younger sister got married and, you know, again, in Asian culture, there's a little bit of a, oh, your younger sister got married. So take it off. Um, so I was like, shoot, I guess I got to figure this out. Um, so I did, I went on a couple of dates and it just, I, I didn't get it. Like, I was like, what is the point? This feels laborious. <laughs> um, and like a waste of time. Like, I don't understand this. So then I went to therapy. Um, and then I met my husband and that, cause I went, met my husband on a dating app and I was like, oh, I really like this guy, but I don't know how to do this. So I went and saw a therapist and it happened to be a marriage and family therapist. So then I was like, oh, okay. So you can actually learn how to be good at relationships. And then you can get so good. You could actually get a master's in this. 
I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I I mean, there is, I got to say, like, as, as someone who, um, just recently kind of, kind of have, have committed myself to, to, um, really taking my mental health seriously. Uh, not that I never took it seriously before, but like some things sprouted up where it was like, okay, I have to take action here. And, and as a part of that, um, I've, I've found a a therapist that I really, really, you know, gel with really well. And I really like him and he seems to be, you know, it's just a really good fit. But one of the things that like immediately struck me in that relationship with him is, and this is like, it was a very rapid, very quick where, um, you know, the things that I was struggling with that brought me to him didn't so much have anything to do with my interpersonal relationship with my partner. Um, but through that work with him, it has brought to light all of these things that I didn't even realize that I was struggling with in that, in that, you know, intimate relationship with my partner. And so the, uh, you know, the power of therapy to kind of <laughs> train you to be a better partner. I mean, it, it sort of just comes with the terror. I, I, maybe I'm speaking out of school, but I feel like for me, it just came with the territory, um, it, even though that wasn't my goal, you know? And so mm-hmm. it is, it's, I, I really love how, you know, you, 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 you pointed out that you meet this person, you, you, you think, I really like this person, but also I don't want to fuck this up. So like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to therapy and, and kind of figure this out. It's like, um, it's like if you get, you know, for, 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 for people who get like a dog for the first time, but they get one of those, you know, a breed of dog that's like, hey, this isn't your first time breed. Uh, so if, you, if this is your first time breed, you are really going to want to make sure that you know how to train this dog and you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you don't fuck this up going mm-hmm. forward. And of course, you know, maybe people should look at uh, dating. That's a the PSA, same way. actually, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yes, I really, I, I, I actually have that perspective and I use that a lot is, you know, and or maybe like the idea of a plant, right? It's like, sure, it's natural. Like being in a relationship is natural. Like we all are wired to be in relationships. But, you know, if you have any kind of history of trauma, attachment trauma, um, or you love somebody with a history like that, like you, Mm. there is a higher level of investment required because this is a more sensitive plant or this is a more, Mm. um, you know, it's going to be a relationship that requires a little bit more tenderness, higher care and higher knowledge. Mm. Um, And then I think too, sometimes we, we mistake the idea that something is natural with that. It's instinctual that we know how to do it. Right. 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 And so to me, it was, being able to say like, oh, it's instinctual. I have the desire to be close to this person. Like I'm very attracted to them. Like I feel like I like them. And I'm recognizing that there's a level of skill to having a successful relationship that I really don't have. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, like what, you know, when you really sit and think about it, how many things can we actually list that are instinctual? Um, and, and to be honest with you, I, I really think you would probably, I, I've never thought about this. So I'm about to say something that might make me sound really stupid right now, but, um, I would, I would, I would hazard a guess that it would be pretty hard to pin down anything outside of like just the autonomic responses that our bodies make as a machine that are not instinctual. Right. So yeah, we just breathe. It's instinct. Yeah. We get hungry. We need to eat. It's instinct. Yes, we will. We need to go to sleep at the end of the night. It's just instinct. But relationships, sure, it might feel 
like it's oh yeah like i know this i've had friends growing up and this is you know this is how this is how we're social beings so this is just what we do but there's there's everybody needs to work on that skill exactly. you know it's it's uh so i'm glad i'm glad you bring that up because i think that's important you you mentioned you i think you were making a joke when you said oh i can get a masters in this which <laughs> i think is a really funny thing but it reminds me of something i heard uh, yesterday on a podcast, I listened to this podcast from time to time called In This New Season, and it's a coach. And she was talking to a woman who's an expert in uh, counseling uh, millennial kids and their boomer parents on how to connect, how to bridge this gap. And and this person's perspective was like, if you want to basically do like love your kid your kid basically has signed you up for a PhD program in loving them and you don't have a choice in it and you you can do the course, you can do it or you can not do it. But I, it really struck a chord with me in that learning to love someone else is, is it's not like I learned, I, I know how to love this person. So now I know how to love everybody. It's like each person has their set, of requirements for being loved and like Ooh. to learn that and to commit to that, even when you're like, but I didn't fucking want to have to learn that, mm -hmm. you know, that is, that's a, uh, that should make us all feel a lot. I think a lot, a lot better about doing the work that's required. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the other thing that we might, I mean, which is kind of on point for this podcast is, you know, we think of sex as something that's an instinct, right? right. Um, but people can be very reticent to talk about whether or not they're good at it um, or learn skills to become better at it. And again, like you said, it's not like, you know, it's an objective scale of are you good at sex? Or are you bad at sex? But it's often about the intangibles of, you know, learning to have pleasure with your own self, right? And getting good at sex, like internally, so that you can then be present and share that with, with a partner. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of what I wanted to, you know, in writing this book, and in the work that I ended up doing becoming a marriage and family therapist was, you know, taking some of that stigma away, because honestly, you know, because so I didn't meet my husband until I was 26. So for, you know, when I came over here at 18, until I was 26, I just figured I would be like, the, the cool aunt that would show up and be like, Hey kids, here's a drum set. You know, because I was like, I don't think I have that chip of like being good at relationships. So I, you know, I just kind of avoided the whole thing by not dating and not setting myself up for what I perceived to be like failure. Um, but, but then when I actually realized, Oh, this is something that I can learn. It really put that kind of like strengths based idea in my mind that, okay, it's not as simple as you're good at relationships, you're bad at relationships, you're good at sex, you're bad at sex, <laughs> but that this is skills that you then learn and then you mm -hmm. practice and then feeling or, you know, messing it up is part of practicing and growing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's really why I wanted to name my book strong is because it's kind of like that, you know, these are some skills that fundamentally will help you feel more empowered um, as you approach relationships, because then you can kind of look at it as a metric um, to at least give you some kind of structure. So you're not just like, OK, I want to be better. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. 
So who who's this book for? Who is the book strong for? And yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So I wrote it for the modern man because the reason, because, you know, like you said, kind of jokingly in the beginning of this, but I feel like there was a lot of relationship and self-improvement and self-care resources that were directed towards, available for, and and really targeted towards women, mm-hmm. right? Self-love, discovering, you know, your authenticity, finding friendships, all of that. And for men, what I was hearing was just this kind of like, just be better. <laughs> just stop doing what you're doing and just be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I would meet with couples in the room, the, just the imbalance of resources that I found, you know, I could offer women, um, you know, here's a whole list of books that you can read here are podcasts you can follow. Here's, you know, women's groups you can join and all of this. And for guys, I was like, Ooh, are you a veteran? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can, you know, point you towards that direction. Or it was really just a lot more difficult, but the messaging that those men were getting was this again, here's where we need you to be, here's where you are, but not really an explanation of, but how do I get there then? Right. Yeah. Like, like you're in the basement, we need you to come up to the kitchen, but we also <laughs> don't have a staircase. So, um, <laughs> but hurry. you know, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can climb or something. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it is, you know, I, I've thought about this quite a lot. Um, the, what we're talking about right now over the last, you know, I don't know, over the last like decade and, and, I'm sure you, in, in writing a book about this, you you have as well. And I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on like where you think that that stems from. You know, I, I it it makes me think about the, you know, as a 35 year old man, um, I feel pretty strongly with the upbringing that I have had. Even though you know I'm from Atlantic Canada, um, I don't think it's that much different than most of the men my age who have been raised in the Western world um, that, you know, we were raised to, to believe whether, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't think that this was like uh, done on purpose by, by any means. I don't think that this was like, you know, an actively thought thing of like, we must teach our boys this, but I think just by virtue of the way that society sort of, I don't know, went the direction that we went, like I was raised in, 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 a, in a society that has taught me as a man that vulnerability is a sign of weakness. If you are vulnerable, you are weak. And so, and, and we don't have space for that. We don't have time for that. And nobody needs that. So bury that shit, suck it up, and don't be that. Um, mm-hmm. which, which like, you know, that obviously will lead to an entire generation of males who have no ability to unpack or look at or, you know, even remotely think about the aspects of themselves that are themselves. You know, this idea of self-love. Oh, that's fuck. That's fucking. No, 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 no. That's for the ladies. Yeah, that's for the women, you know? Um, (laughs) Like, what do you, you know, for, for, I, I guess from, from someone who comes from two, who has very much, you know, ex- experience from two very different cultures, um, culturally, where do you, like, where do you get a sense of where that came from? You know, what, what is, what are the things that have led us to like the, the stereotypes of modern masculinity? I love this because this is kind of why I 
you know, I wrote this book for men and I start with a prologue of, you know, I did a lot of research, kind of like you said, I wanted to know, is this a Western thing or is this kind of a, you know, um, a cross-cultural thing? And one of the things that I found is that across cultures, men generally inhabit their masculinity and the expression of masculinity through kind of what distills down to the three Ps, being a protector, being a provider, and being a procreator, right? And so, I mean, and this kind of holds true across generations of, you know, who are the ones that get sent to the front lines across history, the protectors, the men, right? Who are the ones that over time, especially, and this is where it's really interesting, in a Western culture, especially in the post-industrial age, that the men are seen as the breadwinners, right? Which that is actually a very specific Western lens because back in other cultures, providing was something that the whole family pitched in with. Mm. And even back pre-industrial revolution, back, you know, like you couldn't afford to just rely on one single breadwinner. It didn't make Mm. any sense. Your whole family would starve, right? So children were involved in that. Women were involved in that. Like anyway, but as it comes to, again, the traditional kind of American masculinity or even as the Western um, masculinity, it's been, you know, protect, provide, and then procreate. Um, you know, a man that has like ability to, you know, have sex with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, was kind of the, the masculine virility thing, right? And so that's where I was looking at this. And in a modern culture, how can we still honor kind of this innate, like masculine urge to be a hero, be a provider, be, you know, uh, sexually attractive and desirable to a partner, without relying on these maybe old or rigid ways of expressing those things, right? Like, you know, I was thinking like a woman now, like what does it mean to protect? Like, I mean, maybe I'll speak for myself, but, you know, especially as it is now, feeling emotionally protected is a little bit more important than necessarily a guy that's going to get into a bar fight to defend your honor, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, again, the caveat of for the modern man who is ostensibly looking for a modern partner, what does it mean to inhabit your masculinity as a protector in a way that would be attractive to a modern partner? Wow. Thing for provision, if there's somebody who's also having their own career, what are you then providing? If you just rely on your paycheck, I mean, that's a pretty vulnerable and fragile thing to base your worth on. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where this kind of um, thread came for me. And same thing with procreation. I mean, sex, uh, you know, post birth control is about pleasure more than procreation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, how can we shift that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Turn me on podcast. We'll be back after this short break. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, it's, you know, when, when talking about that shift and talking about the aspects of like looking at that shift and, and wanting to see some sort of evolution or, or change there, um, it feels like it feels like from where I stand and in the, in the, the current sort of like climate that we're in. And, and I'm talking about this over, you know, over the span of the last like 10 years, cause I, I feel like I've seen quite a shift over the last decade. Um, but, it, but, but in that shift, there almost feels like it feels like it has to be done so delicately um, uh, for, for the, you know, to protect the, the, maybe the delicate ego of, of, masculine men right so and 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 what i'm trying to get at there and and you know please excuse me if this comes off as sounding a bit daft but um i i feel like there's almost this fear of allowing that 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 shift that change from like stereotypical masculinity the the toxic masculinity um there's like a fear that if we if we shift that if we allow that shift to happen us men then we are no longer going to feel like the protector we're no longer going to feel like we are you know we, we are we are in in our you know in our strength we're not we're no longer going to feel we're going to feel emasculated we're going to feel all these all these like things that we that we say is negative when in reality it's actually it's actually probably positive that we would feel some of those things but but like approaching these conversations in a way that I guess like is just just safe enough to not like push some man over the edge of thinking like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to I'm going to become, you know, I'm just going to be this is going to be like some pussification of my of my masculinity or whatever, um, which I find is like even that in and of itself is kind of a problem where it's like it, it's like, OK, can we can we step back a little bit? Can we actually just talk about this without like feeling so afraid that allowing a bit of feminine energy into our lives is going to like, what, I don't know, somehow like what shift your sexual identity. Like, no, we're, we're not, we're not, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, I, I guess there's not really a question in there other than I, I suppose like, what are your, you know, what, what have you noticed in terms of the, when, when you approach these subjects, maybe even with clients, like what the reactions might be when trying to, you know, I guess like flash a mirror in front of these people's faces of going, Hey, take some time to like reflect on the way that you're showing up in your masculine self. And are some of these ways positive? Are some of them negative? Like what, what has that experience been like? Yeah, it actually has been a really interesting experience for me because one of the things, again, that I've noticed a lot about American culture 
um, is this like polarity versus integration. Like coming from an Asian culture with the yin and yang, you know, it is less, I guess, polarizing to talk about yin and yang energy than it is to talk about masculine and feminine, mm-hmm. right? Because there's such like gender attached to the idea of masculine and feminine energy that that's where I noticed the the conversation was so binary, yeah. right? Whereas really, I mean, anything that is mature is complex, Right. And like, if you think of nature, the more something matures, the more complex it gets. Like, you know, even education, the, the you know, when you get to college, you're having more complex uh, math, more complex discussions than you do in elementary school. And so, you know, just thinking about how can we as you know, I guess for me, I'm like, I don't I didn't like the idea that because you know, if you're in in this type of body or in this type of body, that means you're on this side of the conversation or that side of the conversation. And so that's part of the reason why I decided to write this book for men, even though I am a cisgender, you know, woman. Um, And so I, because I was like, I feel like they're just, I'm wanting to have a little bit more of that bridge or that ladder of it's not men versus women, which I'm afraid kind of we're starting to get into a little bit, totally, which I really yeah. am not okay with because mm-hmm. um, that's not the way forward. So I think that's how I approach it with clients is I'm, I'm like, I want you to be successful. You know, I want to, you know, be a guide for you and helping navigate, you know, what you're doing, what you're telling me, the reason why you're here is because it's not working. So my job is to say, is there anything else that I can give you that's not about changing or minimizing who you are, but instead it's actually expanding your toolbox and giving you a safe space to do that and practice it with your partner so that you feel more empowered when you go out there. Um, Because again, you know, especially for men being competent is integral part of like the masculine identity, right? Right, I mean, there's this joke in this trope of like, guys don't ask for help. Well, you don't want to be the guy that looks like you don't know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But if you don't have space to practice new skills, you will never get confident or competent in those skills. Mm -hmm. Instead, you end up, like I did, just making your world very small and avoiding things that you're not good at until you realize like there's a whole part of life that you're missing out on but you don't even know where to start to get good at those skills. And so that's really where I'm trying to maybe shift the, again, stigma or remove some of the stigma around therapy as well. It's like, just because I'm a woman, I'm not trying to emasculate you. I'm not trying to, you know, feminize you. What I'm trying to do is this is like your relational gym. Where do you Mm. want to get stronger? Here are the skills that I have. Go home and practice them. And then if you come back and you're like, well, those were terrible. They didn't work. Okay, well, we'll try something else. <laughs> you know, like it's about learning, growing, working your relational muscle, your emotional muscles. Mm. Yeah. So, so is it like a practical book where like, do you ask people to take their time with it? Like try some things on and move on to the next thing? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And that was, if I can just one more little thing mm-hmm. is the difference too between, you know, what I noticed about therapy and talk therapy in particular, it's a very female oriented way of processing. Um, again, this is borne out by research that typically men, again, this is what also causes a lot of issues in cross-gender couples is women will sometimes, and again, not all, right, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes women will be like, I just want to be heard. And the guy's like, why are you telling me unless you want a solution? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I'm trying to help you. Why are you 
perseverating. You, now you're just whining and I don't want to hear it. Um, and so that was also some of the issue that I noticed of men feeling like, why would I just go to therapy and sit in a room and cry in front of a stranger for why, <laughs> you know? Um, and so f- again, breaking it down into like, no, these are the reasons why this is some practical skills that you can use and you can be action oriented and that doesn't preclude you from being in therapy. Mm-hmm. Like these things can exist together. I'm curious about uh, your thoughts on, you know, the the traditional stereotypes of masculinity and how those uh, may or may not play a role in in sort of navigating conflict. Um, I, I mean, like for myself, this is this is one of the, I sort of spoke to this earlier, but like this is one of those things that I've noticed in going to therapy uh, is like, oh, interesting. I didn't really, I never really considered how my, uh, my aptitude to get caught up in my emotions in conflict tend to go down the route of like reacting from a place of anger or reacting from a place of like, you know, again, like that sort of puffed up, like I got to protect myself type attitude when it comes to conflict in relationships. And, and now like finding myself in conflict like quieting down that side of myself and, and allowing myself to actually like just be present and listen and not, you know, be caught up in emotions. has been sort of like, it's a monumental shift. So like, I, and, and I don't know, I, I attribute that to like sort of the negative masculine stereotypes that maybe I just didn't learn to unpack. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Like masculinity conflict and how do those things sort of, you know, how do those things sometimes uh, uh, combat with one another? Yeah. So, you know, it, it is a really interesting thing because kind of going to that protector piece, right? I see a lot of men that are very traditionally masculine. I am in Texas, you know, um, and part of my population that I really enjoy working with are first responders and veterans. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of men that are in this role and kind of the number one thing, which again, I also noticed in coming from a different culture to this one is like, you know, men and women's tears, like what happens when your wife is crying or your girlfriend is having a really bad day and she's expressing these like really painful emotions. How are you then equipped to handle that? Mm. Right. And so what is your distress tolerance when your partner is in, in distress? And that's kind of the, where I've noticed a lot of these men like switch into protector mode and they're like, let me at it. Where's the pain? I got you. (laughs) Right? And so they're trying really hard to like help, right? Because they're like, I love you. You're in pain. Who did it? Let me at them. Here's what you should need to do. I got you. I'll protect you. And the woman is like, stop trying to control me. I'm just wanting like, I don't even want your advice. I just want to be heard, you know? Um, And again, some of that is a lot of socialization. And so what I've done in the book is I talk about the four positions of conversation. And what I noticed is that you know, the way women bond with each other or the way that, again, socialization encourages women to bond is by listening and joining, right? So you just listen, your girlfriend calls and she's like, oh, and you're like, let me at it, girl. Like, go, go, go. And then you join with her, right? You empathize. You're like, oh my God, that sounds terrible. Oh, I'm so sorry, right? You empathize, you do these empathy um, and then you feel bonded, right? Thanks, girl. Sorry. Okay. Call, you know, love you next time. Bye. Right. That's a totally valid. And again, I'm being, you know, kind of broad strokes here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But with men, what I noticed is, again, the socialization of masculinity 
it really doesn't allow for much of that. It's like, if you call a friend, it's like, what's up? Hey, I have a problem I need to fix. Or, hey, I have this thought, debate me on it, right? Men sitting around drinking beer, debating each other. It's like, <laughs> yes. it's like a more bonding thing, um, which is, again, being able to look at it through that lens of like, these are the, these men are bonding with each other. They're calling each other names. They're debating each other. It feels maybe kind of like wrestling in a way, right? Mm-hmm. But that's their bonding. Um, and so then, again, just thinking about it as like a cross-gender couple, if you know, you're looking for listening and joining and what you get is a fix or a debate, you feel minimized. But what actually is trying to happen is he's either trying to join with you, trying to protect you. But, you know, it feels like we're at odds here. Does not compute. Exactly. And so that's kind of where, again, just reframing that of like, I hear you trying to protect her, but the ways that it's coming out, maybe make her feel controlled, minimized. Is there a different way that you can express that? And it might be like, I have no idea. (laughs) Okay, now we have a skills gap and then let's address the skills gap. Yeah. How do you teach that person to listen and or join or or not? Or is there some other complete skill? Uh, So actually in my book, I have a a little infographic of empathy bingo. So I'm like, just pick a square, say what's on the square. (laughs) Why do you feel that way? Okay, next one. That must have been hard. Tell me more, you know? Because sometimes it's about, again, just gaining vocabulary. And then, rec- and again, this is where recognizing, I think, and I don't know how many people, maybe I have mixed um, feedback on this, but being socialized as one gender and then like you don't really have a lot of insight into what it's like to be socialized in, as the other gender. Um, and so I think that's part of what I wanted to shed some light on is I noticed that men are socialized very differently in this culture than women are. Um, so here are some things that a, a woman might appreciate. So as a man, you might want to know this, um, even though your buddies might not appreciate this. Mm. Yeah, totally. Okay because you're not trying to like, this is a cross-gender relationship. So mm. that's specifically what this book is. Um, yeah. I wrote, I wrote those four things down, those listening, joining, fixing, and debating. It's so mm-hmm. like, it's so relevant. Again, like replay any conversation I've had with my partner where, where I've, you know, he'll ask me how I'm feeling and I'm like, I really don't want to talk about it because I know, <laughs> I know you're going to try to fix it and that's mm-hmm. not what I need. And then that prevents like any bonding at mm-hmm. all because mm-hmm. I'm just not going, I'm just not going to go there. Um mm-hmm. But I totally appreciate the intention now behind it, the protection mm-hmm. intention. Yeah. I was trying to make like a yes and improv comparison there, but uh, <laughs> I just feel like that just uh, that's me trying to fix. Um, <laughs> I, I I do. I would love to kind of get your thoughts on uh, on on emotional regulation and, and specifically from like from your vantage point of what you've seen. Um, directly tied into, you know, uh, uh, the modern man and, you know, maybe, you know, what, what, like, what are your thoughts on, on the ideas of emotional regulation, um, with, with the modern man? Is it something that you feel like, you know, if I say that word emotional regulation, do you think most, do you think my dad, you know, knows what the fuck I'm talking about or, or, you know, the majority of, of males that you, that come across your, your practice? Um, what are your thoughts there? So 
Actually, that's a really interesting. Honestly, that's a really big in that I see because there is so much research. I mean, even if you think about like the Hubermans and, you know, the self-optimization dudes and the stress reduction, like be good at work and all of that, a lot of it comes down to self-regulation, right? And so I think honestly, that's where I see a lot of men kind of finding um, like a trackable metric because physiologically, when you learn to self-regulate, it is immediately obvious Right. So this is what you can also then track that I am getting better at this because my body is responding differently um, as opposed to just kind of like emotional intelligence. You're like, ah, right. <laughs> you know, um, so really. And again, this is also one of the things I so this is my first chapter in the book is safety, because, again, being, a, you know, in a woman's body generally in this country being hyper aware of your safety needs is very, very different than um, what I noticed that men who, you know, people who are socialized male in this country, like it's just the gap is so huge. Mm -hmm. And so for women too, being hyper aware of another person's um, kind of self-regulation abilities is one of the biggest markers of safety, right? So like a guy that ends up like punching a wall, like, a woman might not be able to articulate. I mean, maybe that's a very specific example, but being able to tell a guy like, hey, the more you can self-regulate and the more you, can, you, the more you present yourself as a safe individual, when you are safe in your body, you then also create safety for a partner to be safe in theirs. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what ends up happening is when we don't feel safe, we stay in protection mode. And so even as it comes to sexual pleasure or increasing, you know, intimacy in a relationship, you can't do that when your body is on guard, mm. right? Especially for, you know, the female experience generally with, or anybody who has a responsive um, sexual desire is you can't even get there if your body is on alert, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so really, again, you know, and I think this is where I do lean into a little bit of like, you know, if you want to be a leader in your relationship, and there are some, you know, dynamics where men are like, I do want to be a leader in my relationship. And my wife does want me to be the leader. I just don't know where I'm leading. Like, where am I going? <laughs> I guess the number one thing is being able to self-regulate and lead from a place of calm. Because mm. then it doesn't feel fear-based. It feels very grounded. And that's, again, that very like getting into your masculine, getting grounded, feeling solid, feeling powerful, but not in a place not from a place of power over anybody else. It's I am in charge of me. Mm. I command respect because of the way I carry myself because I am self-regulated. Mm. That's a leader. That's somebody that we automatically respect in any situation, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether it's work, whether it's at home, whether it's, you know, among your friend groups, we generally like <laughs> have the instinct to respect people who are in command of themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that all makes sense to me. Um, uh, and, and I feel like everything you said, like anybody listening to that would go, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Um, but it's, it's a lot harder to like implement that into a practice, right? Which like, that's where the work comes in is trying to like learn and understand and unpack who you are at your core. And like, you know, are you someone who, are you someone who typically reacts from a place of emotion rather than from a place of like logic and, and reason. Um, uh, so, you know, what are some, what are some, some sort of tangible things that people can, 
do to explore that aspect of themselves to try to sort out like where do I fit in this? What you know, how do I how do I typically react? What kind of space am I usually in in my brain when it comes to whatever it is, conflict or or mm-hmm. you know, like desire or you know, um like any kind of constructive conversations in in the relationship? Like how what what can what can men do to mm-hmm investigate those aspects of themselves? Yeah. So one emotion that generally men are not discouraged from expressing is anger. Um, And so I actually really enjoy validating that anger is very important because it's usually sending a protective message, Mm. right? And so breaking that down is the next time you do feel angry, again, that's not wrong, but try to break it down. Is it because there's a need that's not being met? Is there a boundary that's been crossed or is there a more vulnerable need that needs to be expressed, right? Um, and, or the other one that is often a sense of justice has been violated. Something doesn't feel fair. And so again, there's that protective, I need to fight for what I think is right. Um, and so by that's one that I use very often is like, okay, you got angry, let's break it down, what happened? And then it might emerge that like, well, I felt like my boundary was being crossed, perfect. Well, that was a very appropriate time to have anger, but then let's sit, you know, figure out how can we better protect our boundaries without it being expressed as anger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can have tangible skills and tools, and there are lots of resources on setting boundaries, upholding boundaries. Um, or the other one, it might be, well, you know, my sense of justice was violated. Okay, well, let's look at that. What felt unfair about this? And then how can you maybe discuss that with your partner? Like, hey, it doesn't quite feel fair that blank happened. I'd like your help in figuring out a more equitable division of this. Awesome. Um, or, you know, a need is not being met. It's like, okay, well, how can we how can we solve that? And so again, just, you know, normalizing that, you know, I'm not trying to we're not trying to do everything in a day. Let's start with where you are. And if you feel angry, that's fine. But let's break that down. Mm. Um, that's generally one of the, I, I mean, that was the one that first popped in my head about, um, yeah, just working with where we are. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. Like that's, uh, that is, that's literally something I was thinking about last week about specifically about anger. It's like, you know, we, we can't, we can't, look at anger as this thing that is bad and shouldn't be, and we don't have space for it. Um, mm-hmm. So what is healthy anger? Right. And I feel like you just kind of touched on it right there. Like that is, that is it. Um, uh, wow. So, so, um, so uh, serendipitous that you just, just said that. Cause I literally was asking myself that last week where I was going, what the fuck is healthy anger? Like, how do how do I, <laughs> And that's it. It's a great question because I find like as someone socialized as a woman, I am just coming into feeling like really feeling and allowing anger, but I, it's such a sloppy process and it just (laughs) fucking sprays everywhere (laughs) in conflict. And I have, even when my, my, and my partner, just like having you have explained all this has done a phenomenal job at learning self-regulation and conflict <laughs> since within our relationship, it wasn't always that way. Um, but I, even when he's exhibiting that calm regulated, my, I just feel like my <laughs> anger, not even at how he's showing up. Cause I totally appreciate what he's doing that he's trying to keep anything from escalating. But like, I, can't I like I just vibrate with anger sometimes and it comes out with like a lot of crying and and 
shit that like I don't I think that it's going to be helpful for me to ask these same questions. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the need? What's the need here? Absolutely. And that's something, again, where, you know, one of the sayings I always like, I put it in my book and I say it's I'm like, don't let the message get lost in the delivery. Mm-hmm. Like anger is telling you there's an important message about something that's happening inside of you. Don't let it get lost in the delivery. So if you need to take a break to say, I'm just feeling really angry right now, I need to figure out why. Um, or if your partner is really, if he's truly regulated and he's like, well, let it out. I'm here to hold it because I'm also aware that this is not directed at me because the delivery is not coming here. Mm. Then I'm okay to hold the space. And I want to hear the message. Let's figure out what the message is together. Like, why Mm. are you so angry? What's going on? And so that's again, where, you know, as long as you kind of keep that in mind, like anger is sending an important message. Just don't let it get lost in the delivery. Yeah. yeah, I'm writing that down. Yeah, and I love that. I love that, you know, it's it uh I love the reminder there that like it it's it's not a solo endeavor, you know, like when you're going through those experiences, yeah, there's a lot of solo work that needs to go into you yourself understanding the emotions that you're having, where they're coming from and how to like relate to them, but also there's there is a role on the other side of, you know, that person that's there with you to also be able to hear and be patient and, and like hold that space. Um, which I, I think, you know, is, is, is one of those things that I think it's really easy for us to forget that. Um, you know, we, we, I think there's so much like, there's so much, uh, emphasis on doing your own self work, uh, that, that oftentimes for, you know, for some folks, maybe there's a, there's this lack of, of remembering that like, it's a two way street that, you know, there's, there's more than just one person involved here. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you said that. I mean, this is, this is awesome. Like this is, this is, uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to, to reading this book because this is like right up my alley right now. I'm just, I'm on a big old therapy (laughs) self-betterment kick and it's, it's, uh, this is, this is scratching that itch. Um, Crystal, I, I mean, how can people find you and the work that you do? How can people get their hands on the book? Um, please just just let us know. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at ATX Therapist. Um, you can find my book on Amazon. I also put it on Audible for ease of consumption. Um, yeah. So, and I'm I'm trying to get it into as I mean I got it into the Austin Public Library. So yay, that's a start because I'm in Austin. Um, but I'm going to try to get it into more libraries because again, my goal is just. I believe that, you know, access to information, information is power. We all will benefit when these skills are, um, you know, more readily available and and more understandable and accessible. So, yeah, I, that's, that's how you can reach me. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for the free therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really love what I do and I, that's why I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Thank you for having me here. And, um, yeah, if you you have any questions as you read, I'm always interested in hearing feedback, um, from, you know, real life practice of these skills and these concepts. Amazing. You heard it here, folks. Get the book do the work report back we want to hear all about it again uh the book is strong a relationship field guide for the modern man uh crystal thank you so much thank you
All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to, so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? 